is sort of the, I don't know, the, I don't want to say the soul of the team, but sort of like the spleen. Valkar is the spleen of the team. from the Mundangerous Borough in New York City. I'm your host, Shane. And I'm your host, Ishan. And welcome to episode 119 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about playing halflings. But first, the rogue traders board a ship in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the pint-sized Punisher dishes out as much as she can take in the Character Creation Forge. So I am packing up and headed to a catacon at the Pretty much after this uh, episode comes out, actually, but I will be there for the rest of the weekend. So if you're in Dayton, Ohio this weekend, let me know. Come say hey. And then next weekend, we will both be in Philadelphia for the inaugural PAX Unplugged. I actually just got my badge in the mail. Oh, I guess I should check my mail, huh? Yeah, I guess so. Also, uh, for those of you who didn't get a chance to send in your RPG horror stories, don't fret. Because we'd actually like to hear your treacly, happy, sweet, and sappy RPG stories as well. Yeah, tell us your happy stories, your RPG triumphs, if you will. Yeah, they can be adorable, uh, or they can just be amazing, awesome stories of stuff that happened in-game or above the table. Whatever you like. All right, now moving on from happy stories to ones that almost always end in sadness. Uh, Almost always? Well, kind of always. I mean, all, all right, the Dynasty of War to campaign always ends in sadness, but not for me. Always always and exclusively, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the Dynasty of War to campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And the crew of the His Enduring Light has towed the stricken Chartist vessel, the Ambition, out of the warp, and then because its Geller field was down over most of the ship, uh, it is still a death trap, but one which you are interested in looting. Oh, yeah. Um, we know that it is a terrible idea to go anywhere near a ship that has been in the warp for any amount of time with no functioning Geller field. And yet, the only way to make any money on this trip right now is to do that very thing. And you've got a little bit of motivation, because in the bridge, the senior crew have barricaded themselves. Uh, They were able to protect themselves that keep the Geller field up in that area. Um, And that's important to you guys, because they work for somebody that you care about a little bit. Yeah, Lord Captain Duhan Roth. Du. Duhan. Duhan Roth. (laughs) I think I made that joke in the game. (laughs) This is what happens when you use random name <laughs> generators. And when you're drinking while you're playing. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's a, a big shot in the sector. We got on his bad side earlier during the eight-year time skip, and we'd really like to get on his better side. And delivering not-dead crew members uh, uh, to him uh, well, would go a long way toward doing that. Also, at the same time, even if we wanted to screw him over, the crew members are the only ones who actually know what cargo is on the ship and where it's supposed to go so you only really make money by delivering the right goods to the right people so if they're dead we also are just stuck with a giant space hulk yeah uh likely filled with chaos tainted uh crewmen who didn't die when the geller field fell and also you know demons and things like that so not a great ship to go towing around behind you either well you're the gm so i'm guessing there's a hundred percent chance that it's awful inside Oh, well, yeah, but, I mean, you knew that. It's not because I'm the GM. It's because it's it's a warp wreck, man. Why can't we have one nice thing, okay? You show up, and inside, like, there's uh, flowers and, and beautiful scenery and money. Money and weapons that aren't pointed at you. I'm pretty sure you found that room, and it proved to be a terrible, terrible hallucinatory illusion. Yeah, yeah. I think we lost three men to it. All right, so speaking of losing men, so 
Trank and Draco are both former Imperial Navy men, so we know exactly what you're supposed to do in this situation, right? We towed it out of the warp, and now there's a strike force. A relatively small boarding party makes its way to the hangar and then takes the most expedient route directly to the bridge. So that's what we're going to do, obviously. Yeah, that's the Tactica Imperialis, the basic fighting strategy of of Imperial warriors. So you load 300 armsmen onto your bulk transports, land them in a hangar bay as close to the bridge as possible, and disembark without incident. Surprisingly. Now, Trank is head of security, so on board ship, his word is law. However, on away missions, Draco's in charge. Right, because you're both the arch militant, and you've decided to divide your territories. And Draco, while he understands the Tactica Imperialis, also understands its shortcomings. Well, namely because he has run directly into their shortcomings once before. Yes, (laughs) over and over again. The last time you boarded a ship in distress, actually. It's like running into a bayonet. Right. (laughs) So he subscribes to something he calls the Tactica Draco. (laughs) Which Which is is basically... Don't make dumb decisions. Right. <laughs> Which is follow the Tactica Imperialis unless it's hurt you before and then never follow the Tactica Imperialis again. <laughs> all right. So instead of taking all of our men with us and no one to cover our escape route, we leave 120 men. What's that? Two companies? Yep. Behind to guard the ships and the rest of them we then take with us because, you know, what's the difference between 300 men and, you know. 180. Yeah. Was that three companies? Yeah. 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 It was a good split. All right. So you set off from the hangar, uh, securing the route behind you. And, and you're basically, you know, coming to barricaded and locked doors as, as the ship was put on lockdown before the Geller or as the Geller field failed. Uh, you're setting breach charges. You're blowing charges. You're moving swiftly into the room on the other side, figuring out what it is and then getting your heading and moving, keep moving towards the bridge. Right. Um, and this is a relatively quick advance until you start noticing kind of some shapes are just on the edge of your view, kind of like shadows darting in and out of the edge of your vision, uh, sort of playing tricks on you, taunting you almost, you know, like, uh, and, and it's making the men very nervous. Yeah, well, this is one of the reasons that we're moving through as quickly as possible. Don't dwell, don't look, blow doors, move through, keep going. Right. And that's the that's the key, right, is like. You know these are psychic effects that are happening because, like, it's the the afterwash of being in the warp. You just need to get through it and not let it distract you, lest it lead you to danger. So eventually, we burst into a hallway, uh, and it's full of warpy bullshit. <laughs> yeah, so it's you know a standard hallway on a navy or on a on a void ship is adamantine walls adamantine floor lighting up above maybe a couple doorways and a and a hatchway at the end uh this one is a little bit different it's got hands pressing through the walls into the hallway trying to reach at you trying to claw at you kind of through the wall yeah and the armsmen aren't liking it i think uh we didn't do too well in a check here and they started to lose more morale than they had already lost on the way right uh, and, and yeah, it's the kind of thing where like the armsmen are getting visibly shaken. Like some of them are having like physical responses to believing they've been touched by the walls. And, and you guys are mostly able to kind of shake it off and be like, okay, no, that's not real. Like I understand this is an illusion, but like some of them are bought in. And then you reach the central stairwell, which is dangerous because, you know, <laughs> in a stairwell, if you're going up, anyone who's above you has the drop on you. The high ground, if you will. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, I mean, if you were Jedi, you would be insta-gibbed. But since you're just, you know, regular Warhammer 40k troopers, it's it's a hard fight uphill. And this is where the warp kind of comes to a head for you. Yeah, we're climbing. We've got to get 180 men up, what, 30 flights of stairs, essentially? Yep. And so not everyone is is together in one big group anymore. We're all sort of spread out over multiple floors. And in the middle, uh, an argument breaks out between the men. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's a big enough argument, you know, 
progress stops, tempers are flaring, a shouting match turns into a scuffle, like you've got to halt the advance, kind of go back through, down the stairwell, find them, get involved, all these types of things. Like discipline is is dangerously close to just completely breaking. Speaking of discipline, discipline is key. Discipline is what is required in this situation, obviously. So Trank fires a couple shots. And then it's chaos in the stairwell. And we'll find out if that's a big C or a little C next week. So this week, we are finishing out the last of our races from the player's handbook. And we're talking about how to play halflings. I think we kind of left them to the end because, you know, I think halflings are like not the most popular D&D race, but they are the one that like needs to show up every single time since, you know, they're one of the origin- original Tolkien races. Yeah. Well, they're like the knockoff Tolkien race, right? Yeah, basically. All right. So, so historically, the word halfling referred to not like a fantasy race, but like an awkward teenager, you know, they're half man and half boy. Uh, or it could refer to, you know, certain kinds of fairy folk. But, of course, the fantasy archetype that we're all familiar with was established by good old Bilbo Baggins back in The Hobbit. Yeah, he's the plump, quiet, cunning thief who has hidden reserves of bravery and uh, foolhardiness. Yeah, I think Bilbo, um, he often ends up being brave because it just doesn't occur to him exactly how dangerous something is going to be. Right. And, I mean, it's also, like, genuine foolhardiness not just foolhardy by ultra conservative halfling standards or hobbit standards (laughs) and of course in tolkien's sort of pseudo european analogs uh within lord of the rings right hobbits are the brits uh they would rather stay at home smoking their pipes than they would engage with the rest of the world they're they live in an island yeah and you know tolkien like he's a world war one fighter i'm pretty sure he thought of himself as as someone with hidden reserves of bravery right right (laughs) and lots of book learning you know (laughs) enjoyed a good pipe right (laughs) counted to 11 11 (laughs) so of course early DD is essentially a way to play lord of the rings with your friends so in the original DD in 1974 they weren't just called halflings. They were just straight up hobbits. Whoops. Because in 1977, uh, they ran into copyright issues. So they had to rename them. Uh, that's when they became halflings in the Monster Manual. And then in the first PHB in 78. Yeah. So Tolkien describes three different kinds of hobbits. Harfoot, Stoor, and Fallowhide. And D&D just took these general um, clans and you know, stamped them into subraces and renamed them with, uh, you know, English versions, Harefoot, Stout, and Tallfellow. And they've basically been a PC race in every PHB since. Yeah, now uh, there are variations on halflings because people seem to always want to play them against type or change them up or, you know, show some kind of weird kind of halfling. So in 1984 in Dragonlance, you get the Kender, who are who suck and are garbage. Yep. Then in 1991, you get the Rulisti in Dark Sun, who are awesome, cannibalistic, murderous jungle dwellers. Yeah. Uh, now, these days in 5th edition, the Player's Handbook lists two different subraces, the Lightfoot, which represents both the Harefoot and the Tallfellows, and the Stout, which are basically mini dwarves. And in Sword Coast Adventures Guide, you do get one tiny uh, text box describing the ghost-wise halflings who keep to themselves and speak telepathically. But they're they're actually pretty cool, but we won't talk about that much. Yeah, we also won't talk about the awesome halflings from Birthright, which are like tied to the sh- plane of shadow. So they're like shadow-touched halflings. Right, refugees from the shadow world, and they can like see into it. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. We'll get into that when we talk about birthright. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> so what are some reasons to play halflings? If you are playing a halfling character, it's an opportunity to sort of be the anti-edgelord. You can be the character who is always cheerful, even in the face of adversity. 
yeah, you're not the brooding type. You're the unlikely hero type. Yeah, like if you think about Bilbo sneaking in to confront Smaug, like there's a giant dragon, like a massive dragon that can destroy armies and he's this tiny little halfling and yet he's still very uh, he still makes sure that he has good manners because Mm -hmm. he is a guest after all right (laughs) (laughs) i mean you say good manners i say he makes sure that he taunts him (laughs) i say dirty sneak thief (laughs) Uh, so you can also play a halfling as the silent but deadly combatant because halflings are known for being particularly stealthy hard to see hard to find And especially in 5th edition, you don't have a lot of the drawbacks uh, where it was harder for you to do damage. So if you want to be the assassin rogue, uh, uh, halfling's probably your archetypal race. Yep. Uh, They're also, I think, well noted uh, throughout D&D history for mounted combat because they can ride on smaller size mounts, which just always appeals to people. Uh, Yeah, like... You like can, they're friends right <laughs> like you can take a, a riding dog into a dungeon so it's a much more viable build than based on a large-sized horse yeah seriously and having nothing to do with the personality of halflings themselves if you're a player who just absolutely can't stand failure then halflings are probably the race for you because remember in fifth edition you roll a natural one you get to re-roll it automatically every single time yep I would rather have mediocre damage output but always hit than miss ever, quite honestly. Yeah, missing is the worst. Yeah, it's just I hate it so much. All right, so like we do with uh, each of the races that we've covered, we're going to talk a bit about the racial traits and their physiology and personality. But for each of these, just remember... It could be that you are completely typical for a member of your race, but you could also be the complete opposite or somewhere on that spectrum. But remember that most people uh, of your race fit a particular archetype. So you're either going to be just like everyone else or in opposition to everyone else or different from everyone else. So think how that colors your perspective. Yep. So starting with physiology, uh, you will get plus two to dexterity, which means you are naturally nimble and agile. Um, Though I think a lot of people prefer to play that more as like just naturally stealthy rather than like acrobatic. I know it's a big criticism of the art sometimes is how like spindly that halflings can appear. Oh, yeah. I think I think we're going to complain about the art a bit uh, a lot in a bit. Um, But but yeah, it can make more sense uh, that your halfling is really good with their fingers craftsmanship and, you know, pickpocketing as opposed to like leaping over people's heads like you just. I guess Bilbo does jump over Gollum's head that one time, but like, other than that, I just don't see him doing cartwheels. It's halfling on former halfling crime. Oh, fair, fair. Uh, also, keep in mind that though halflings are known for dwelling underground uh, in their holes, they don't have dark vision or low light vision in 5th edition. So um, that's probably why they enjoy coziness in their holes. Yeah, like they're underground, but they still need bright lights to really see anything, to to read. Uh, I think it makes sense that they've developed this this penchant for, you know, the the finer things because, you know, you're going to squirrel them away anyway. Also, keep in mind, though, that not having dark vision is a pretty big drawback if you're a rogue. So you're going to want to look for ways to overcome that, Um, whether that's a magic item, uh, magic or, you know, some other type of you know beast shape or something like that throwing a torch that's i always i tie them to my arrows (laughs) uh they're also a small size so you've got a little bit less movement you can't use heavy weapons which includes like great swords and uh long bows and then fortunately in fifth edition you don't have any strength penalty anymore and you also don't suffer the unarmed damage penalty of third edition so you've got a lot more flexibility but still a few limitations yeah so you're going to look for ways to overcome that or i guess i guess you could just live with it 25 feet isn't that bad same as a dwarf then you have the lucky ability so you reroll ones uh they also have the brave ability which um gives you a benefit to resisting uh frighten effects right Yeah, exactly. Which actually means that it's the halfling and the gnome who are the race's 
best equipped to deal with frightened effects, who are least likely to be afraid of a dragon. Right. Because the halflings get advantage and the, and the gnome gets it on all uh, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma against magic. Right, because gnomes just assume everything is an illusion and halflings are idiots. <laughs> I disbelieve. <laughs> uh, you also have the halfling nimbleness ability, which is mostly for grid combat. That lets you reposition yourself a little uh, more advantageously in combat. Yeah. And then you're choosing from two different sub-races. One is the Lightfoots. They get plus one to charisma, which means they're typically smooth talkers. Uh, Or if you do want to play a bit against type, they can be intimidating. They're also naturally stealthy, which allows them to hide behind allies or enemies, even if they're in plain sight. So this is actually one of the few abilities in the game that lets you take the hide action even if you're being directly observed you can just slip behind someone else and go ahead and make do it anyway and then there's the stout halfling which is like a miniature dwarf i know kind of redundant uh they get a bonus (laughs) to constitution and then poison resilience which is the same ability that dwarves have i love that it's the exact same ability that the dwarves have which means that Drink for drink, a stout halfling can go up against a dwarf like in a drinking contest. Right. Uh, or eat, you know, mushrooms, I guess, in a different kind of contest. Well, they each bring their chosen poison. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You brought ale to a pipeweed fight. <laughs> so appearance of halflings is, uh, like we mentioned, up for debate. Uh, it's kind of been a controversy over the years. Yeah. So if... People so to, people actually were asking Tolkien later, like, wait a minute, what exactly do they look like? You know, and he was like, well, you know, they're like approximately three and a half feet tall. They got hairy feet below the ankles. They're kind of stout and their ears are a tiny bit pointed like elves. But later editions of, of D&D, especially when they stop using the word hobbit, right? And they're moving into to halfling and they're trying to define it and find its niche. Um, gnomes are also like short and kind of stout and dwarves are also short and kind of stout. So you get this type of halfling, especially, uh, the, the Kender, who I guess aren't technically halflings where you basically look like a normal, a normal sized human being, just half the height. Right. Uh, and then some of the depictions made them look like children despite their, you know, advanced age. Yeah, it's tough for most halflings to grow like beards or facial hair. Um, and, you know, being that height and weighing like 40 or 45 pounds, you know, lots of people just sort of assume that they're children. But then a lot of the art uh, really doubled down on that and was like, hey, look, they look like they're a 12-year-old, but they're going to stab you. Right. So second edition was really like going against type, right? You've got the Kender. Um, they're they're kind of like kids. Uh, and then you have... Uh, dark sun halflings who eat people third edition really tried to sort of kind of tried to make halflings sexy like like that was supposed to be a thing like hot halflings yeah fourth edition moved more towards like bats halflings and now in fifth edition we just have misshapen heads and weird feet yeah tolkien never said that halflings had had big old feet but like there's the proud foot i guess and people have just decided that they have giant feet and I suppose giant heads, which to me just, it looks, it's really doubling down on that weird, hey, I'm a perpetual child kind of look. Uh, But at the same time, they also look like they're like Benjamin Button. Yeah, frankly, I think it was just bad art more than anything. But yeah, I don't know. Whatever. Pick Pick the version of Halfling that you want to be, obviously. Yeah, I actually prefer the, I look just like a normal person, but I'm half the height. (laughs) Right. And that's kind of cool. So then in terms of culture, um, the book says that they're a lawful good alignment typically, but... That's weird. Yeah, given that the stereotypical halfling is a rogue, it seems a bit out of place. Yeah, uh, and and that the iconic halfling stole a bunch of stuff. Well, the second most iconic halfling returned it. That that's true. I mean, from, from whence it came. Sort sort. No, no. He was going to take it at the end. He was going to steal it. Yeah, you're right. 
<laughs> and okay, I guess how I guess maybe this is like, oh, most halflings are lawful good because they like their small communities and they like to they like order and you know they like to know when their next meal is coming. But those are also the halflings that don't really become adventurers, right? You know, yep. So I don't know. I would I would have pegged them for chaotic good, honestly. Good natured for sure. Lawful greater food. <laughs> Uh, then halfling names are all kind of goofy. I mean, Frodo and Bilbo are pretty dumb look, names. Look, that is, that is their word. <laughs> you can't call them goofy. Um, well, can't stop me. <laughs> but given that they have kind of, kind of silly names, like it's not strange that they wouldn't necessarily be taken seriously, especially at first. Yeah, it's the same problem that I think gnomes run into, which is, you know, when you have a goofy name, people laugh at you, and then you have to prove yourself by either stabbing them in the throat, stealing their purse, or shooting them with magic. Right. And then in terms of society, um, I think halflings typically aren't presented as adventurers, um, and they're also not really presented as, like, separate societies. They tend to just be part of human civilizations, or, or at least be relatively close in communities near humans yeah if you're not doing the whole shire thing where you know we've gotten into or i guess willow right we have an entire um village or group of villages that are all halflings and that's all there are and if if you get like a tall person that's a weird thing um most i think fantasy depictions these days like you know forgotten realms um greyhawk is that they're just all intermingled halflings live side by side with humans and they just deal with the fact that everything's made bigger. So your halfling PC is probably either far from home or used to being the odd one out. Of course, this is different depending on what campaign setting you're playing in. Uh, if you're playing in Dragonlance, you know, f*** Kender. Because Kender <laughs> suck. <laughs> yeah, if you're playing in Dark Sun, cannibals are pretty rad. Yeah, I think it's pretty awesome to to say all right i'm going to play a halfling in dark sun which means that if one of you dies i'm definitely eating you right and also most things will try to kill me on site that's right it's a show of respect it's a show of respect in eberron halflings ride dinosaurs and they're nomadic which is pretty neat yeah uh they also have access to uh two of the dragon marks the uh mark of healing and the mark of hospitality which is they're both sort of like I don't know, I guess opposite ends of the spectrum, I suppose. As for religion, it really feels like TSR and then Wizards of the Coast gave halflings racial deities just because every other race got racial deities. You know, like, uh, it's it's Yandala, who's the traditional leader of the Pantheon, and she's like a, it's like a Freya or a Hera, you know, like, she likes the home and and she likes you know courage and bravery mostly in defense of like the community but i mean most traditional stories don't really have halflings who are particularly religious right like if halflings are english people then they're also anglicans they yeah. you know they go to church i guess on christmas and easter but that's about it yeah i actually could not remember the name of the halfling deity before we uh, set out to start this episode so she is the only one i remember i think there are technically others with equally goofy names and i actually looked in the php to be like all right is she like listed as like a big like uh, forgotten realms deity because in third edition she was part of like the main pantheon and she is i think literally the last god listed in the whole freaking book well that's until you get to like she, egyptians yeah but she's got a y so just alphabetical. Yeah, but she's not even in, she's not she's not listed among Forgotten Realms. She's literally at the end of oh also racial deities here you go why not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought Garl Glittergold was a halfling deity, but nope, he's a gnome deity. See, and that's just your bias showing. Yep. Hashtag not all short people. <laughs> Hashtag not all short uh quotation marks people. All right, so family ties are pretty important to halflings. I think that's a pretty common thread throughout halfling history. What does childhood look like for halflings? Well, I think 
among halfling communities if you're around a bunch of other halflings you know the shire it's pretty idyllic you're just playing barefoot outside with your friends and your cousins and your cousins cousins and you know the group of halflings you're distantly related to from across the river that you see three times a year for festivals yeah and if you're in a more urban environment it's it's a pretty standard urban uh childhood right like you play in the streets and deal with those kinds of things but i don't think it's particularly unique to halflings yeah and even if you do have the traditional adventurer backstory which is you know parents murdered horribly uh even as like an orphan halfling the archetype is usually someone who's still plucky and adventurous and has learned to survive by their wits and probably isn't all that traumatized Uh, yeah i mean except for belkar Wait, is he traumatized or is he just a sociopath? What's the difference? <laughs> Did bad things happen to him? I don't recall any bad things actually happening I mean, to he him. He doesn't get a backstory because he's too great as a lovable sociopath. <laughs> I think when you see his tenderness with Mr. Scruffy, you understand that there's there's depth of feeling there that isn't being explored. I think it's being it's very explored. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, I'm 150 episodes behind, so I'm catching oh, up. Fair. Okay. Is that why you're reading it at work? You, shh. <laughs> you can cut that. <laughs> so according to Tolkien, um, halflings come of age around age 33. In 5th edition, they come of age around age 20, which actually means no matter what, they're probably going to be, uh, this is sort of weird, uh, a little more mature than, say, your regular, like, typical just starting out human adventurer. So while you might look like the kid... Uh, I think it's important to remember that you've probably got at least a few years on, uh, you know, the new recruit who's like fresh out of boot camp. Also, depending on what kind of environment you grew up in, you know, how diverse it was, whether it's all halflings or, you know, mixed races, think about if you dealt with any experiences with racism for being a halfling. Obviously, if you're growing up in the Shire, it's not going to be a big deal. And it'll actually pretty be maybe a little weird when you meet people who don't like you because you're like one of those little people. You're one of those Whereas tricksy if, hobbitses. Yeah, yeah, who was always stealing stuff. Um, although if you're a kender, you deserve it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but if you're growing up in a more urban environment, uh, it could be a very cosmopolitan environment where, you know, maybe people don't care about halflings because like there's lizard folk in the street, you know? Or if you're like you're you grew up in Sigil in Planescape, eh, probably no one cares about halflings because there's way weirder stuff. Right. But in certain parts of like Waterdeep, it's quite possible that you know they see a halfling and they think, ah, you're definitely like part of the thieves guild, and I automatically don't trust you. Yeah. So I think halflings are also one of the races that sort of has an adventuring period of their life and then settles down into a burrow, maybe with a husband or wife. Yeah, um, although it also seems like it's not a weird thing if you're a halfling if you don't end up pairing off. You know, if you end up being like an adventurer for the rest of your life or or single and, you know, you settle down with your books and your pipe and it's apparently not weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The other halflings just just ignore it. I guess it's fine as long as you have uh, siblings or lots of cousins who also have lots of children. Right, right. I think when it comes to families, they tend to be very close knit. So whether you have children or they're, you know, your nieces and nephews or cousins or or whatever, right? Like once you settle in, I think halfling society kind of sticks together pretty tight knit. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's often the only way that you can stand up to. You know, people who are literally twice as tall as you. Yeah, you got to stand on each other's shoulders. Yeah, obviously. If you stack three of you, then you're automatically the tallest. And you're, you know, just train acrobatics and you'll be great. So speaking of, (laughs) that is going to be one of the defining aspects of your interactions with other races, right? Uh, You might be as tall as a gnome, but you're probably shorter than a dwarf. Uh, and you're definitely shorter than an elf or a human or, you know, like a half-orc can step on you. Which actually means that maybe dwarves like you because it's rare that they meet people that they're taller than. I think that halflings probably get along really well 
for the most part with the other smaller races, right? Dwarves have that um, superiority complex, even when they're dealing with like elves and humans who are taller than them. So it, I think it, it works. It makes sense in a dwarf's mind when they see a halfling and they're like, well, yeah, I'm also taller than you and I am, you know, better than you, but, but you seem to acknowledge that since you're so cheerful. Yeah. I and think, not smug. Yeah. There's, there's no rivalry there, right? Like, I don't think halflings have that kind of racial pride that humans and elves do. Yeah, halflings are always depicted as uh, the race that gets along with everyone because they're just so curious about everyone else. Right. Plus, you know, dwarves and gnomes and halflings all do live underground. They like their burrows. Uh, I'm sure they can, you know, compare architecture or the right kinds of lamps and rugs. Yeah, and and I think the way that they're written, right, stouts, stout halflings are more in line with the dwarves and gnomes and uh, lightfoot halflings tend to be more aligned with humans and elves. Yeah, there are some kinds of lightfoots or or tall fellows who are depicted as like living in in trees, uh, just like elves. So, um, and I think halflings have the closest tie to humans, like physiologically, right? So I think a lot of times they're mistaken as children of humans. Um, they might not be taken seriously. They kind of get treated as twee or cute. Humans, I think, have a hard time seeing halflings and not thinking of children because, you know, if if there's a four-foot-tall dwarf, they also have a giant beard. Um, and they're stocky in a way that humans aren't, right? So it's just hard to view them as exactly like you. And elves are obviously otherworldly and orcs have fangs, but halflings often just look like a little version of you, which I guess what kids are. Kids are basically a subrace yeah. of humans, I think. Yeah, they're just the lower intelligence subrace. Okay, and then other PCs might see you a little bit differently as well. They might be more protective of you because you're smaller, right? Like you've got a less of a physical stature, so they might feel the need to shield you from physical threats. Yeah, unless you're playing against type like bell car in which case they sort of pushed you to the front right well <laughs> so in order of the stick bell car doesn't get pushed to the front so much as he leaps from the back to the front in order to stab things he's very good at jumping for such a little guy he has very high acrobatics <laughs> and adorable little feet <laughs> Uh, keep in mind that it's likely that no one in the party is going to be afraid of you. It's at least certainly not uh, naturally, right? Not at first blush. And so the biggest obstacle in terms of party harmony, if you're playing a halfling, is typically winning respect and proving to the rest of the party that you're useful. And also that you're useful in a way that they, they need to be um, maybe even wary of. Yeah, and then what about the other races, like um, specifically the super tall ones, like Goliath and Half-Orc? I have a hard time thinking that when meeting for the first time that a Goliath can take a halfling seriously. Yeah, I mean, not for nothing, neither Goliaths nor Half-Orcs are particularly cosmopolitan races either. So I could see them really struggling to see past a halfling's height. Yeah, I mean, I would think they're they they're gonna think halfling is either a human child, maybe even a dwarven child, or a or a gnome. If they've never seen a gnome, they might be like, "Oh, you're you're a gnome, right? I've heard of you. You go in my garden, <laughs> and you stay there." And then I think elves have an interesting relationship. Um, if you like, look at Lord of the Rings. The elves don't have a lot of respect for the halflings either. Yeah, although they understand that there is something about them that they don't fully understand. Um, they're still mortal. They're still, I mean, they kind of lump them in with men. Um, if, if, we're, if we're talking about D&D, then the tall fellows are to elves as the stouts are to dwarves. So there's, you know, there's a lot of history with halflings. There's always talk that maybe the stout halflings are way back somewhat descended from dwarves and that the tall fellows are maybe way back somewhat descended from elves so i think an, an elf might notice um a bit of elvishness in a tall fellow halfling but they may even sort of feel like uh you're like a tiny dwarf if they're talking to a stout <laughs> yeah you're like a dwarf but with worse beer 
Yeah, you're a shaved dwarf. That's unsettling in so many ways. All right, so if you're playing a halfling, what are some reasons that you would actually become an adventurer and leave your tiny, cozy burrow? So wanderlust and curiosity are both sort of canonical reasons for halflings to adventure. You've also got those halflings who are duty-bound to protect the community. Maybe the only way to confront the threat is to go out and meet it. And then I think there's also sort of the challenge to a halfling that they can't make it in a big person's world, sort of proving themselves. And then, of course, like Belkar, maybe you're just wholly interested in wanton destruction. (laughs) Is that a particularly halfling trait? It can be. It is now. (laughs) Talking about Rulisti. (laughs) I'm just hungry, and I'd like to sample all the fare that this world provides. Right. So what are the classes for halfling adventurers then? What what sort of makes the most sense if you're rolling a halfling? Well, I think this uh, starts out pretty straightforward. A rogue, especially if you're going to be a light foot, swashbuckler works really nicely. Um, I really like that in 5th edition you can be a halfling monk and there aren't any drawbacks. You don't have a damage penalty for your size. Uh, you get a speed boost, so it makes up for your slower speed. And you don't really care about heavy weapons because you're punching people in the face. Yeah, then fighter makes a lot of sense, um, especially if you can be a dex-based fighter or an archer. Uh, And ranger is another one that doesn't necessarily leap to top of mind for a lot of players, but makes a lot of sense as well. Also keep in mind that any fighters or monks or even warlocks or certain kinds of evokers, any class that makes multiple attack rolls is going to get really good use out of that lucky feat because you're going to be able to re-roll those ones. And it's extremely useful to be a halfling if you're playing in any kind of game that uses critical failures. So then when you're in a party in combat, right, the the role of the halfling, uh, you're small, but you're not receiving any penalty to your constitution so you're just as hardy as any other pc of your class so you don't have to be afraid to tank if that's the role of the fighter the role of the monk in that particular party yeah and if you're a stout you actually are are even tougher than humans or or elves Um, and also despite being a little bit slower you're actually more mobile if you have the light foot because you've got the ability to kind of reposition yourself favorably. Uh, You can ride medium creatures as a mount, and that includes your party members. So, you know, make use of that. It it may be good just to take the mounted combatant feet just so that, you know, if you're the tank, you can redirect all of the attacks uh, from your ally to yourself. And then because you get the dex bonus, uh, you're likely to have good initiative rolls, and you're also likely to have a good AC, even if you're not able to use heavy armor. Um, so that might make you the scout. Yeah, if you just happen to be better at it than anyone else. For skills, there's stealth, obviously, but then acrobatics and sleight of hand. And again, with lucky, it it's good for you to be using any skill that has a penalty for failure. Because if you anyone if anyone's rolling that one, bad things are happening if you're trying to make an intimidate check or you're watching someone carefully and you're trying to do an insider perception or you know you're lying through your teeth to get out of a problem and you're making a deception check but if you roll that one at least there's a chance you can re-roll it yeah i mean a, a one on a history check usually just means you're missing lore probably a lower cost than say failing in your attempt to lie yeah or animal handling <laughs> yeah <laughs> So in terms of magic items, there's nothing that's specifically tied to halflings, though the Ring of Invisibility and the Bag of Holding are sort of iconic for halflings, I guess. Yeah, the only thing that really uh, is a problem from not having a lot of strength, which you know you probably don't, is that you can't carry a bunch. So you know, grab your Bag of Holding or your Portable Hole. And, and yeah, artifacts kind of have a way of finding halflings, historically speaking. Right. Finding them. All right, so Shane, um, have you ever played a halfling, or would you? I must have played a halfling at some point, but I don't really have any distinct memories of a halfling. Yeah, and that's, that's interesting. Like, I noticed 
this was the last race out of the PHB that we decided to go with. I think we even did Genasi before this. Um, and everyone knows halflings. Everyone's familiar with halflings. But I think there are a lot of people who just can't really wrap their heads around playing like a small cutesy character. Right. Yeah, I mean, I want my characters to be big hulking brutes or I want them to be, you know, wayfish like masterminds. I I, I don't have like a a mental like aspiration to be smaller and shorter and tiny and nimble. Yeah, I agree, but I will say this. So now this is now we've done all the races in the PHB and I was thinking about it. Um I would, for example, not want to play in a game where the entire party was elves. Oh, because yeah, agreed. I, I think I think we would all say, uh, I don't know, let's just wait 300 years till this is over. Yeah, exactly. And then let's come back to it. <laughs> Who cares? Uh, all humans is boring. All dwarves would only be fun, I guess, if we were like fighting orcs or goblins or something or like doing clan business, you know? Yeah, I, I, uh, I think that would actually be a lot of fun to to run like a kind of clan campaign for dwarves. Yeah, I but that that's pretty much the only way I could see it. I have a hard time seeing four or five dwarves being like, "Yeah, let's go save the world," you know? Right. Yeah. Um, I I wouldn't want to be an all an all tiefling game because it's just too much edge for me. I, I yeah. feel like we'd all just have different storylines. Yeah. Same with all dragonborn. Yeah, but I could totally see playing a game where we're all halflings. Yeah, I, you know, I could too. Yeah, like it's it's us against the world. Uh, we're we're all in this together because you know we're all halflings. We're all you know pretty cheerful in terms of our outlook, uh, and there's not a ton of overlap in terms of the things that we can do because everyone can do something useful because halfling abilities are so useful. Right, and you've got access to like solid melee classes, so you don't. You don't suffer on that front. You're not taking a huge penalty because dex is still useful to um, casters. And because you can get a bonus to charisma, you've got some of the better casters, the bard and sorcerer and warlock are, you know, available at a bonus. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's a very versatile race for that kind of multiple members of the party being halfling. So I say, if you haven't played a halfling recently, try it. Maybe you'll like it. All right, do you hear that, Ishan? Uh, no, because halflings are extremely stealthy. They're sneaking up on us right now. Well, I'm just anticipating that sneak attack, so let's go ahead and roll up another character in the Character Creation Forge. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous, that's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan, at Evil Sense Carne, that's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show, at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the Pint-Sized Punisher. Shane, what does this character do? Uh, Well, for one, he has to be small because he is pint-sized. But he also needs to be able to dish out a lot of hurt. Yeah, I think uh, one of Susie's lieutenants in our birthright game is actually a halfling barbarian, like like a fifty year old grandmother Spoilers. halfling barbarian. Spoilers! <laughs> no one's going to remember that we're talking about Granny whenever we get to birthright in like eighty episodes. No, spoilers for the build. We haven't revealed it yet. Oh, okay, okay. Hold on. I I have a feeling. Well, we can't multi-class in, in birthright, but uh, I have a feeling this this build would work really well for Granny. I think her name is actually Granny. So, what is the build, Ishan? It's Frenzy Barbarian fourteen, Thief Rogue six. I like that we we haven't used these two subclasses all that much before, so I like that uh, we're getting some use out of them. Yeah, and so the main challenge with building a halfling that's going to do damage. Uh, and not a spellcaster, right? Because I think the theme of Punisher is that it's got to be kind of melee, physical, in-your-face damage. Um, the challenge you have is that because halflings are small size, they can't use heavy weapons. So it's difficult for them to take advantage of a lot of different abilities that scale on weapon type. But there are some abilities that 
scale on level. Yeah. And so that's where the rapier comes in. That's our magic ability because rapier is a finesse weapon, which allows you to trigger the sneak attack for rogue and get extra damage dice. But it's also you're able to use strength to make the attack with it. So you can still be a barbarian making strength attacks, but trigger your sneak attack damage as a rogue. And still get your rage damage bonus on every attack. Right. And then because you're a barbarian, you have reckless attack, which allows you to grant yourself advantage on every attack. So you can always qualify for sneak attack. Which is, I guess, the main reason we're not taking Swashbuckler. Uh, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So Frenzy Barbarian 14, that gets you rage and all the other great barbarian abilities, right? Um, Some of the defensive stuff as well as Relentless Rage and, and... the uh, tank abilities. But the prize of it is in the subclasses Frenzy, which lets you make a melee attack as a bonus action. So you will be able to use your rapier for three attacks per round instead of two. On top of that, if you do go into a, a mindless rage, you can't be charmed or frightened while raging. And note that if you are frightened or charmed and can still use a bonus action to go into your rage, so basically as long as you're not dominated, it uh, cancels out the frightened or charmed condition as long as your rage is lasting. Right, which means if it's magical, you have a chance to just end that effect by breaking that the caster's concentration. It means that you can suffer the effect after combat is over and there's no threat around. So it's a nice way of getting out of those control abilities if you're already in one. Yeah, I like that we already determined that the halfling is one of the characters most likely to be able to stand up to the dragon, right? Right. But even if you fail, okay, on your turn you have to use your movement to move away, that's fine. But the first thing I do is I spend a bonus action, I rage, and I don't run away. Right. Uh, Then I think my favorite ability that we get in here, uh, just from a flavor perspective and, and not really at all from a mechanical perspective, is Intimidating Presence, which allows you to make... uh. Frighten checks like wisdom saves versus frighten. Um, which, as a halfling, I just feel like you know, like you shout very loudly, they are terrified of you that something so angry could come from something so small. Yeah, and you can keep this going, you just keep spending an action every round and it continues. Um, I love that. Remember, frightened the frightened condition gives. Um, other characters disadvantage on ability checks that they're making so it's harder for them to lie to you to read you to notice things um, to recall things um, to grapple (laughs) right and that's not primarily a combat ability but keep in mind because you have frenzy available you can use intimidating presence in combat and still make an attack with your rapier so it's not a great use of your action but it's still possible. And then at 14, we get retaliation. So if you do take damage from a creature within five feet of you, you can attack as a reaction. Yeah, and this is great because it's not just attacks. Uh, It applies to spells and that sort of thing too, which makes you good for locking down mages. If they try to hurt you, you hit them. And then if they don't try to hurt you, you You hit them. Hit them. (laughs) So then we've also got Rogue Six. That's 3d6 sneak attack, 4 expertises, uncanny dodge, which pairs really nicely with uh, retaliation from the barbarian. So you either, uh, when when you're getting hit, you can decide, all right, am I going to take the hit and then hit them back? Or am I going to have this damage? And, you know, usually you're going to hit them back uh, until you're like, I think I'm probably going to drop. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then that uncanny dodge is also helpful for mitigating the loss of um, the for not taking totem barbarian and getting bear to give you resistance that still hurts and then keep in mind with retaliation that's also allowing you to trigger another use of your sneak attack so you can get up to two sneak attacks per round yeah just make sure that you're using that reaction uh, not on your turn <laughs> yeah so if you use your reaction if you move away <laughs> get uh attack of opportunity and then use your reaction to hit him right back, you might not get sneak attack then. So just don't do that. <laughs> unless you, I mean, unless you really want to land your sneak attack. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Shane, who is your pint-sized punisher? I mean, it's Belkar, right? <laughs> it's Belkar bitterly from <laughs> Word of the Stick. 
a, a wandering sociopath who really enjoys inflicting pain uh, and has a has a wandering moral compass, but ultimately is sort of the, I don't know, the, I don't want to say the soul of the team, but sort of like... The spleen. Valkar is the spleen of the team. <laughs> right, most likely to get stabbed. <laughs> the amygdala. <laughs> right. Uh, he's He's the one who sort of can avoid like the rose colored glasses of idealism right he's he's the one who when everyone loses faith he doesn't because he had no faith to begin with um so he can kind of when when everybody is down in the their lowest depths right he's the one who says well hold on hold on hold on you guys thought this was going to be easy look this was always going to be hard pick it back up let's get going also we're a mess without you guys like i kill fewer people if you aren't in front of me so let's get going (laughs) I also love that you could swap out any one of these levels for Ranger 1 and just the way that it works out, you'd basically have Belkar's build. Because yeah. canonically, he, he multiclasses Barbarian. Right. And his wisdom is so low that he can't cast any spells. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he does use two daggers instead of a rapier. Uh, you know, it wouldn't make a huge difference in terms of damage output no. once you get into later levels. Right. Who is your pint-sized punisher i think so people who know me know i have a thing where i have a hard time playing a character that has below average intelligence just because it's not my favorite thing to role play but i think my pint-sized punisher is happy-go-lucky and probably dumb um i would put intelligence at the minimum because she is from far off lands where she didn't need no book learning and she just doesn't quite understand why everyone is so upset all the time <laughs> you know uh yeah i cut that guy in half but you know that that that's what we do that's why we showed up here in the first place right i don't i don't get it you guys said he needed cutting so i cut him in half what else yeah <laughs> you point i cut what's what's the issue right <laughs> Um, once you take her into an, an urban area, uh, yeah, she just, she likes everyone. She appreciates people for, for who they are and doesn't get the sort of like, um, the scheming that other, other people do, you know, she doesn't really get the insults when, when people are literally talking down to her. She's just like, I don't, I don't understand where, I mean, I'm stronger than you. So that, I mean, technically that makes me better. I don't, I don't say it cause I'm polite. but i'm not a savage (laughs) right we can we can arm wrestle if you want to settle this i don't understand why why you're making fun of me right because you're the laughable tiny wizard (laughs) i don't bring it up i I wasn't raised in a barn right i was raised in a cave it's much drier (laughs) all right before we wrap up uh we want to take a moment and thank our patreon supporters Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this every single week. So we have hit the $200 level. We are, uh, I think we've got like 20 of the builds done for the Character Creation Forge Codex that's coming out for the $200 reward. So uh, we've got some help. We'll tell you who is helping us maybe a little bit later, uh, but we're we're getting some help on that. And so it it is in progress. That should be done relatively soon. We'll make an announcement once that's available. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. And we also have a five-star review from iTunes this week. Actually, from like over a month ago, but we're getting to it this week. Yeah. This is I'm No Party, But I'm Thrilled by Baba Orum. Baba or Hum? Either way. Babaorum? Five stars. Have been binge listening to the podcast for the last few weeks, and finally listened to the last recap of the Eberron campaign. I have been incredibly inspired by all the tales and adventures you guys have recounted, and I am just dying to run my own Eberron game. Great podcast with pertinent subjects, high production values, and jokes. Sometimes funny ones. JK. That's fair. Actually, rarely, rarely funny jokes. Although, also, I think the main reason we got into this in the first place was to get more people to play Eberron games. Yeah. So, perfect. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Tweet at Hellcow Keith and just tell him and he'll respond because that's what he does. All right. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? 
Um, we're not going to tell you guys because we're not sure if we're going to be able to pull it off. So we'll fill you in. Surprise. Surprise. It might be Xanathar's Guide. It might be something else dependent on whether or not we can get it in time. Yeah. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Uh, and likewise, well, I, well, no, we'll definitely have it in time. It's just, can we read it, uh, review it, and then edit it in time? Right. Uh, and, and dependent on that, uh, we may or may not have a character creation forge as well. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, listen anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's it for episode 119 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. 